1: Coach Unplugged is brought to you by great people over at teachhoops.com. For coaches who want to get better, from the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. Here is your host, Steve Collins. Hey everybody, welcome to Coach Unplugged, episode 273. We've had a great interview and a great book we're going to talk about this week. Um, Jake's Jake did an awesome job, um, Walk On Warrior. We'll put a link down below. If we forget to tell you about that but go over and check it out and um yeah make sure you go over and check out our sponsors dr dish one of our sponsors 2019 the shooting machine you need just mention coach unplugged um and they'll give you 300 off your next purchase i can't what a great deal um they it's not only versatile it's not only got um the thing but uh, you know all of us are in the season right now and I can tell you we have two of them going to practice every day. We have one of the older versions, one of the newer ones So go over and check that out. Also, I can't imagine a better time to check out teach for coaches. who want to get better 14 day free trial um, videos, audio mentoring, you know, it's Netflix with coaching and, you know, one-on-one calls or questions that get answered on a regular basis. I can't imagine. I know you have lots of choices out there for basketball, um, knowledge and stuff, but I can't imagine a better uh, thing to go over and check it out. So let's head off to the interview.
0: Okay, today on uh, Coach Unplugged, we have an opportunity to talk to John, John Wilcom. Uh, he is the author of a book called Walk on Warrior. Um, it's called Walk on Warrior, Drive, Discipline, and the Will to Win. I'm very excited to have him today on Coach Unplugged. Uh, He's going to give us a great opportunity to be part of uh, our Coach Unplugged family and get an insight of what it really takes to be a walk-on warrior. And this is overall basketball journey. I feel as a reader um, really gets good insight for coaches to learn through John's experience. Um, He's met many, many uh, famous people throughout his journey. His memoir is very entertaining and uh you don't even have to be someone from from wisconsin like myself to really enjoy it but we're very glad to have him on the show today thank you john
2: appreciate you having me jacob excited to be on the program
0: great uh john so the first thing is uh uh, can you kind of give us an overview of why you decided to write the memoir
2: absolutely so this was kind of a project 13 14 years in the making um Really, the whole thing began when I started playing college basketball, um, not at Marquette, um, but at the University of Minnesota, Crookston. And that was back in 2003. I was playing Division II basketball. Um, like any freshman, when you transition to college sports, there, there's definitely a transition period. And, um, I had a lot of interesting experiences there that I started to journal and thought, you know, these might be cool things to tell my kids someday. Um, and then really the, the last couple of years is when the book uh, started to come together and I think a big reason for that is my wife is a medical resident she's in a very challenging program and she was working 100 plus hours a week and I'd come home at night and I thought to myself I could watch a 100 college basketball games you know over the course of a season or I could try to produce something that was somewhat impactful um, not only just in my career but something that was um, at the end of the day meaningful to me and so I took kind of all the notes I had and I really started to piece it together into a book and uh, the outcome was Walk-On Warrior and I'm excited for people to read it.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed your book. I thought I thought it was great. Um, I thought it gave great insight to your full journey of what it really takes to be uh, someone to be on a walk-on, a walk-on on a big uh, Division One campus um, and just the overall insight of Wow, all the things that really occur within a Division One program, but all the other things that you know um, kind of helps your basketball journey and stay connected with the sport, I think is really helpful for coaches in particular to learn and and read. Sometimes, often we get the perspective of the play, uh, of the coach writing the book, but it's oft often nice to get somebody's insight that. Um, Uh, somebody who writes a memoir that's not a superstar. Um, And by any means, I mean, I'm talking someone that was a walk-on to get that insight of their experience and their perspective and to learn from that. So I think think it's a great opportunity for coaches to read. So uh, the next question I have for you as we continue to talk to you, uh, John, is can you kind of give a brief overview of your basketball journey? Now, your basketball journey in the book will be Explained in great detail, but kind of a brief overview of your your basketball journey and, and the game of basketball.
2: I grew up in Central Wisconsin, uh, Marshfield, a town of about eighteen thousand people. Um, attended Marshfield High School and had a good high school career there. I was a, a three time All Conference player, and my senior year, we had the best record that Marshfield High School had had in a long time in boys basketball. So that was something we were proud of. And as I mentioned earlier, I attended uh, University of Minnesota Crookston on a basketball scholarship, uh, which was division two. Crookston is right on the border of North Dakota. So uh, it's a small rural community um, Play in the Northern Sun Conference and actually played quite a bit my freshman year. Um, We had a challenging season. We only won four games, Um, but simply from a basketball standpoint, got a lot of playing time um, and I had a pretty decent season um, but I wanted to go to a bigger school and ultimately I wanted to be a little bit closer to home so I kind of narrowed down my choices to the University of Wisconsin-Madison or Marquette and Marquette was a, a special school to me. My father had been a student there in the 1970s and um, was ironically on campus in 1977 when they won their, their first and only men's basketball national championship and so as, as a kid I watched a lot of basketball but i watched a lot of marquette basketball and so it was kind of extra special for me to um just even be able to think about going to school there um and the basketball stuff would would be separate if i had an opportunity um there so once i got into school i originally wanted to be a manager and i just wanted to stay connected with game and didn't think i had talent to play division one basketball um and i got involved in some summer camps and um, Brian Wardle, who's the head basketball coach at Bradley now, was an assistant at Marquette at the time. And he would scrimmage with a lot of the camp coaches at night. And, um, you know, we had played for several weeks and came up to me one night and said, We'd love to have you walk onto the team. And basically, he gave me like a 30 day time period to, according to him, just to get myself in the best shape of my life and to come back ready to go. And he would, basically communicate what would be next once I got back to campus uh, in September. And so, uh, the rest is kind of history. Um,
0: mm-hmm. obviously I made it. Yeah, um, so- uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So like a uh, big, I, I have a big, uh, I used to you still stay connected with Brian Wardle uh, because I, I've been, uh, watching his practices several times up in the green Bay area. He's a pretty intense guy. I can see how he would fit the Marquette system at the time when you were playing, um, and that kind of goes, uh, you know, uh, just wondering, uh, if you ever stay connected with him and, uh, with your experience with him and coach Wardle.
2: Yeah. Uh, Brian's a great guy. Um, he's one of those guys where, uh, he was a tremendous player. And I think mm-hmm. people, people that know Marquette basketball, I think he, you know, at the time when he was coaching me, he might've been the sixth or seventh all time leading scorer at Marquette. Yep. Um, and he could still, you know, fill it up even as a coach. Right. Um, times when we would you know be running various sets or um running plays in the scout team and if if we needed a bucket against our starting five you know we'd turn to brian um, yeah
0: so i read that asked. in the book i found that very interesting that you know he's uh, a
2: big time player yeah, yeah he could actually uh, the, the great thing about him was that if we would lose different contests or uh, scrimmages he'd run with the rest of the team yeah, so I,
0: I liked that a lot. I thought that was pretty interesting. The other thing is my question, I always felt I liked him a lot, is because he kept things pretty simplistic, even though as a player things become really easy for most people. But um, I was watching him when I watched him coach and so forth. He does things in a very simplistic manner. And it seems like it's, he just does things very intensely, but very simplistically. And I think that gives a lot of success for a lot of young players out there, um, even at the collegiate level.
2: Yeah. I think one great thing that both him and Tom Crean were big believers in is just getting your conditioning in, um, in the course of practice. And so both those guys aren't big, like let's get on the line with 20 minutes left to practice and run sprints for 20 minutes. Um, they both thought that was a huge waste of time. And so it was more just like, you know, basketball has a natural rhythm to it. Right. Um, if you're moving from drill to drill and you're intense in those drills, then you know, the, the net effect of that should be that your body's in good condition because you're actually you're actually playing and you're running and you're sprinting and sliding. Um, so I always thought that was a smart thing to do because we got a lot more done in practice in the time we had because we weren't saving time to condition at the end.
0: Right. Um, one thing that I notice noticed about you in your book is that you do you, you have um, a, a developed a very, at a young age, a gym rat mentality. And somebody that, I, you know, reading your book, and the, the nice thing about your book is that you connect at multiple levels from coaching high school, the coaching elementary, to be part of a division one program. So have you seen the whole perspective of how basketball works and how players grow? And I think one thing that has been lost in the world of basketball is kids that are true gym rats, you know, that really want to go in and put in the work. It seems like a lot of times now kids need somebody to organize that for them. So my question to you is, you know, two things is, uh, how do you think you developed that gym rat mentality at a young age and what do you think coaches can do to instill that in their players? Cause I, I really admired that about you when I read your book.
2: Yeah, I think, um, part of that is the advantage of being in a small town. Okay. That's what my neighborhood did. I mean, we played basketball and like you said, there weren't people necessarily organizing that for us. Yep. You know, the, the minute in March that we could shovel our driveways and have a space you know large enough to go play we play Um, and I had a lot of kids in the neighborhood that were older than me they were naturally more athletic and bigger and stronger and so it was one of those things where if I didn't get any better um, I almost couldn't participate Mm -hmm. and so for me it was motivating just because um, you know I wanted to get done with my homework so I could play with the kids in the neighborhood and that's that's kind of what we did
0: yeah, I I don't I don't I don't see that as much as 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 now because that's how I I was when I was a kid too, and it just seems like now it it takes a lot of kids to be able they got to go to a lot of organized camps and things like that. So, in, in, in a coach's perspective, what do you think coaches can do to instill that kind of um that uh, that intense mentality for that kind of that that grittiness and wanting to get better on your own?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it comes at like a natural pace for kids. And yeah, what um, I've seen, like, like you said, and having coached college all the way down to second grade basketball. Right. Um, you know, kids need to naturally enjoy the game. Okay. They need to put the drills. Um, they have to enjoy the competition and practice. Um, they have to have some success. I think if you're overmatched at a young age, it's hard to want to continue. Those are great points. Um, and then the other thing is just, Coach is providing um, just positive reinforcement and, and the right challenges at the right time. So you know, if kid can't make a layup, he's not gonna be able to shoot a three-point shot. You know, it's just, you have to have a realistic expectation of what progress should look like. Right. And I think that, um, if, the, if the coach and the adult has that, um, the kid's gonna be much more satisfied with, with what they're getting done and the, and the pace that they're moving at. Hmm. Um, so I think those are big things to keep in mind. But ultimately I think there's a certain age, and for me it kind of happened around sixth or seventh grade. Right. Where, you know, naturally you're kind of just you you lock in as a player. You you want to be committed or you don't. Yep. And that's okay if you're yeah. not. Find something else that you like to do. But um, I think because kids play so much basketball and especially travel teams and things at a lot younger age than what we did. A lot of times that's
0: that's forced on the kids in second, third, fourth grade. Yeah, we've been talking about that a lot lately on teach tubes the last year or so. Just, you know, that maybe, you know, this whole the AAU circuit, all those things, it's just become over exhausting for them. I mean, by the time they get to the to junior and senior year when it's really what it's all about, you know, that's how I felt when I was a high school player and I was a role kind of guy. And, you know, I wasn't very, I wasn't one of your top players, but being part of the team and and that type of thing was that's all all that mattered to me at that point. We wanted to win conference. We wanted to get through the sectional and ultimately the dream was to get the state. You know, I I think a lot of these tournaments and stuff are just so over glorified and kids just kind of get sick of it after a while.
2: Yeah. I was at a, uh, watched a basketball tournament last weekend that featured two of the best high school teams in the country, one from Southern California and one from uh, Southern Florida and the team from Southern Florida had, um, kid that's going to Duke next year named Mm -hmm. Vernon Carey. Yep. Uh, Unbelievable talent. Um, But what was interesting about that is that his team was down by about 14 after the first quarter. They were down by 18 at halftime. And at no point did they make make a run to close that gap. And I kind of thought about that because these are college prep programs, both of them. But the desire to want to fight to get back in that to win a, a holiday tournament it didn't really seem to matter to anybody on that bench. Right. And, um, again, for a lot of us, um, when you play less games and the games are a little bit more meaningful, taking that, that trophy home at the end of a, of a two day weekend tournament, um, is a big deal. And it's it's stuff that you ultimately remember versus if you played so many games that you can't even remember the
0: outcomes. right? Um, I really don't know if that benefits you. I agree very much. Uh, so, uh, Uh, One of the things that I really admired when I read your book um, was uh, a reference to page 72 in your book, but just, you talked about this, uh, uh, you talked about this, this habit of focus and concentration in the moment. And I I, I like to constantly go back to this idea of how we can connect the book and your experience to coaches. And uh, so what do you think, coaches can do to develop the habit of focus and concentration in the moment. You know, we talk about those big moments. What do you think coaches can do or things that have helped you in your basketball career, helping your coaching career that helps that focus and concentration in a moment, a big moment type?
2: You know, I think ultimately it comes down to preparation um, and really, I mean, how many high school coaches are prepared for, for everything they might see in their next game? And have you mentally thought about, you know, how you're going to uh, play call? Does your team know that going in? Um, you know, are you making rotation decisions based on gut feel? Are you thinking about, um, you know, those types of decisions before the game? Um, and I think that even in high school, I mean, I can't tell you how many games I watch where it's the end of the game, team's down by four, and they seem to just follow whoever they, whoever they could foul at the end of the game. Right. And I think to myself, you know, the amount of high school kids shooting 80-plus percent from the free-throw line is 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 not huge. It's not. It's and really so, not. Yeah, you know the personnel that's on the floor. The odds are obviously in your favor. And at the end of the day, you're going to be in a lot of close games where you might be the difference, especially at the high school level, between winning and losing. And so those are the types of points that I feel like as a, as a coach you make up. Um, the other thing is, like, I love Brad Stevens. You know, you watch a guy like that. And every time a timeout is called, um, whether it's a out of bounds play or an end of game situation, the timeout is called and he immediately goes to the board and starts drawing up what he wants to present to the team. Right, he knows and what it, he wants right, to do. It, absolutely, so you're, you're prepared, you have all the situations ironed out. And so when all of a sudden you've got a 30 second timeout, you not only need to, to draw it up, but you need to clearly communicate you know, what needs to be done takes longer when you're a high school coach. So
0: I think uh, the more prepared you are, um, the easier it is to be able to then communicate. And so what about the perspective of the idea of the player being focused and concentrated in the moment then? I mean, I, I know what a coach can do. I mean, I preparation is huge, but you know, it seems like sometimes kids have a hard time focusing and concentration in the moment at, at times as a, as a player. Um, I, I, feel like a lot of our, uh, a lot of guys I've seen and watch play that they, they don't have that basketball IQ or savviness or that focus or concentration, the moment of a big game. Any suggestions about that? Yeah.
2: I mean, I think, um, like you said, I was kind of a gym rat in that way where I always believed in my preparation and by preparation, I don't mean what I did a couple of days before the game. Um, you know, I meant like, what did I do the entire summer? You know, what did I do? Um, you know, the hundred nights during the basketball season when, when practice would end and I didn't feel quite good enough about my ball handling or, you know, I missed some free throws the night before or what have you. Um, that's just the kind of the type of commitment that ultimately like your skills and, and where your head is
0: at during those moments are what's going to shine through in the game. I, I, so I, have- I just, I would have to agree with you on that. I think a lot of times people just think those things happen and people don't see the background of what really happens. Uh, Say for example, in a, in a big program, you know, their, their culture, what they want happening throughout the whole season. They don't see those things behind the scenes and all the hard work that it really takes to develop that focus and concentration. So I can see what you're talking about.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, basketball, football, um, It's crazy because it's just, it really is the opposite of what most people think. You know, it's the, all the non-sexy moments where no one's in there with you. Um, you know, I used to do ball handling drills in my basement as a kid when it's zero to outside and there's, there's snow on the ground. Um, if you want to be good at something, you just, you find a way, you know, and you, uh, you figure out ways to, to get in the gym. Um, if you want to stay later, there's so many kids who are like, well, my coach just closes the gym down. I have to go but they've never even asked and they've never brought up the fact that they want to stay. Um, ultimately I just think all of us and myself included, even at, you know, in my mid thirties, um, if you want something, you ask for it. And I just think there's so many great people out there that are willing to help you that have been through similar experiences or that, um, that want to share with you in some way. Um, people are just so afraid to ask for what they want.
0: I agree. I, I completely, I completely agree with you on that. Um, it's a great point. Uh, so, when reading about your Marquette journey. Um, I, I felt like practice seemed very intense and exhausting. Um, but one thing that I pointed that it seemed that you touched on a little bit was that, that maybe you guys were doing too much too late in the season in regards to how intense and exhausting your, your practices were at the end of the year. That maybe would cause maybe some injuries or some difficulties at the end of the year on your team's morale and, and, and overall body injuries. Um, if, if that's the case, uh, what, what, what do you think coaches could do to help support maybe not that happening? Um, or uh, maybe that's not the perspective that I got. Maybe I'm I'm wrong on that. By after reading your book, but just kind of a little insight of what what you felt even as a a walk on for one year in that environment. Yeah.
2: I think that ultimately there's a point of diminishing returns, okay. and I think it's important for coaches to have a real good pulse. And maybe it's just a captain or two where they, you know, can pull them aside and just say, you know, what's what's the pulse of guys today? Um, how are people feeling and ultimately, you know, you have a good leader or two on the team when they actually tell you the truth and they say, you know, guys are sore. They're really beat down or um, that game took a lot out of us. Is that admitting weakness? I feel like if you have good leaders, it's absolutely not. It's, a, it's actually helping the squad move forward. And maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe that day you just, you sit and chat or you go over some film or maybe even get more creative and you go bowling or go see a movie as a group.
0: Yeah, um, I you
2: think that that's that important. Yeah, without being on the court, I think those are all uh, those are all good ideas just to build camaraderie and um, not have to physically continue to wear your guys down just to prove a point of of toughness because that's not being tough; it's just stupidity.
0: Right, that's right. a great point um the one thing I, I really enjoy too is this idea and the concept behind maximize the day um if you could elaborate on that a little bit you seem to like pretty something that it's been kind of a counterstone of your life when reading the book um one thing you have to know about me John is that I'm a school teacher so I pick up on the little little things within a book so I kind of see and I, I view your I view your book as kind of you've maximized a lot of your day within just being part of the Marquette basketball and a division one program for just one year. Um, so could you kind of elaborate what maximize the day meant to you when you were a player at Marquette? And then how can coaches promote this, this, uh, this idea or concept in their programs as well?
2: So maximize the day um, was something that coach Crean was a big believer in. And essentially what it was, was just, uh, we had a chart in our locker room and um, we were all, um, what Marquette required to do something to maximize um, our day, whether it was getting some extra shots up or going through a ball handling routine, um, or maybe some, doing some extra work in the, uh, in the strength conditioning center. Um, it was basically, what are you doing outside of just the norm? So we all went to practice, we all had to go to study hall, we all had uh, maybe a strength session in the morning, um, but it was, it was finding ways to get better outside of the structured agenda. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, as, as a coach, I love the concept and I love it even um, now as a, as a business person. I love it as a, as a father and as a husband to think, right. you know, what are little things that I can maybe get out of myself or how do I use my time a little bit better so I can spend more time with my wife or kids. Um, but as a coach, I think it depends on the kids. I mean, some kids may need a, a written chart. Others, it may just be the mindset of, um, you know, we're going to practice today from three to five. But you know, what what are you going to do as a player from from five to when you go to bed at, at ten or ten thirty? Um to make yourself maybe a better player or a better student
0: or a more well-rounded individual. So when you talk about maximize the day, can, did it go beyond the X's and O's in basketball? I mean, could, could, could you promote uh, your, your academics? Was it about taking care of your body? You know, those type of things. I mean, or was it only basketball related or do you think coaches could uh, branch off this idea of maximize the day uh, when you were at, when you were at, a player at Marquette?
2: So at Marquette, it was, it was all basketball, mm-hmm. but I absolutely think that you could branch that out. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in reading books. Um, yep. and, and the big thing I love about books is that um, there's there's so many books where you just, you read it, you kind of get lost. And to your point, you think about different concepts and some of them aren't the most unique or, or even new to you, but it just makes you think about, you know, how you're handling your own business. And um, maybe it, it changes... Uh, you know, your mindset uh,
0: versus something, maybe it makes you, gives you a little bit more of a positive. I liked it. I like it too, John, because okay. this the idea of it's valuing people's efforts. I think a lot of times we, we look at numbers and, and, you know, achievements, but a lot of times it's just, it's nice to just showcase people's effort, you know, and it's, it's really easy for kids to say, you know, I put up another 250 shots today. You know, that effort piece is just, I just, I really like it. I think it could be really successful in in, in a program at any at any level you could you would do it. You can even do it in your classroom. You could do it in a business, you know, head coach. I mean, I think it's a, a concept that can be used in multiple facets of the world. So I really enjoyed that. Um, also, uh, I think one key thing is when reading your book, I often felt your efforts as a, a, a player, as a scout player, um, maybe it's sometimes maybe you weren't as appreciated as you should have been. Maybe I'm, I'm looking at it in a different manner. Um, did you feel that way? And, um, how do you think coaches should promote these types of players in your position? Because no matter what position we're in, whether it's hopefully in third and fourth grade, we're getting everybody on the floor equally and getting a lot of minutes and working on the process. But as we move up as a a basketball coach in the junior high to, Uh, high school level we are going to have players that are in your position as a as a scout player as a player that doesn't play that much but their their efforts are just as important and everybody has a role as we talk a lot of times on teach hoops and um high school hoops as well of everybody has a role within a program um how do we promote these types of players and make them feel valued I know it's a big question and concept to talk about but you kind of have the notes and things that i talked about so maybe you could branch on each part as we go through it
2: sure so i did feel that a bit and i think it's natural for anybody that's not getting an opportunity to play to you know mentally go down that road mm-hmm. uh, occasionally but one thing that i was always appreciative of and more appreciative of when i got older as opposed to when it actually happened was um we were sitting in the locker room at halftime of the game and I hadn't played a second of the game and um, everyone was talking about what we needed to do and the adjustments we needed to make just as players. And coach Crean came storming through the doors. And um, the first thing he said was John welcome, stand up. And I stood up and I thought, why would he be calling me out? Um, obviously I haven't played a, a minute in the game, but then he proceeded to tell me that I was the reason we were losing. And that, you know, my lackluster effort during the week in practice, my lack of focus, my, you know, uh, inability to execute the scouting report of the opposite team, that was the reason we were down. And then he said, sit down, and he stormed out of the locker room. And uh, I talk about it a bit more in the book, but at the time, I, I thought, are you kidding me? Like, I have, I can't believe I'm getting blamed for something that I haven't contributed to, but... You know, Obviously, years later, I look back at that and I say, that was a really cool way to tell me and the rest of the team that my contribution on a daily basis mattered.
0: You know, and, and I never that, thought about it that way until you kind of, sometimes when you read things, you don't get into contact, uh, get into the content and understand what it really means to you here, what it comes from your voice and hearing it from you and how you're talking about it now is that it is really, a, a really is a, a unique way of, wow. You know, he could have he could have literally pointed a finger at Travis Diener or Steve Novak or somebody else who was getting tons of minutes on the floor at that time, but he called out one of his scout players. And I think that's really interesting as I go back and I reflect and I talk to you as the author of this book about, you know, how important everybody is on, on a basketball team and whether it's your managers and everything else, I never really thought about it that way till talking to you about it a little bit more and the, the whole situation that occurred in the book. It is a really it is a really kind of touching moment if you really think about it. I mean, it really does add a lot of value to what you had and what how important those scout players are on your team. If they're not playing hard, you know, you can only play and blend your team so much. Sooner or later, you're going to have to have your top players play against your next top five or six players. And if they're not working hard, it's not making anybody else better. And so I think that's really important. One thing I definitely think we could uh, – um, touch on the importance of those players being that part of your team in that manner. Um, So um, what do you think coaches can do to promote these types of players and any, any other suggestions based on your role that you had at that point?
2: Yeah. So I was fortunate to work with um, Dave cooks who at the time was the head boys coach at Marquette university high school Mm -hmm. um, in Milwaukee. And it was, it was interesting dichotomy of just coaching styles from, from coach coach cooks, but One thing that I loved about uh, his style was that he treated, you know, the 12th through 15th guy on the bench uh, the same as he treated his best player. And um, to the point where he even brought those guys into an office, and I was sitting in that office as well. And um, we talked to them about their role on the team. And we pointed out, you know, their strengths and what they do well. We told them why they're an asset to the group. Um, And we even got into details about, just the fact that their maturity as seniors and how that benefits guys that are sophomores and juniors. And, you know, those guys may be playing more, but maturity wise, some of those guys tended to lose their heads in big games or um, just didn't have the, uh, honestly, the maturity that uh, some of these 12, 13, 14, 15 guys had. And I thought it was just a unique way to, again, um, call to mind these guys' strengths and to let them know that, and to also be really clear about their roles and why they were valued.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so the next thing, that, and then we'll, we'll go back to Coach Cooks uh, um, in a little bit, I, I think his connection and um, his relationship with you has really kept your love and uh, love for basketball continuing as you uh, decide to go on to the West Coast and get away from the snow, and I completely understand why you would do that. Um <laughs> Uh, the whole, the whole Mike Lee connection, uh, not everybody probably in the whole world of basketball understands who Mike Lee is, but he is a, a, a very, a very renowned, uh, uh, basketball trainer in the Midwest, and you had a connection to be able to work with him in multiple facets with coaching AAU, with the playmakers, and running camps. Um, so you talked about um, you had some success at running camps. So what do you think that made your camps be so successful in the years that you were running those type of camps with Mike Lee?
2: So Mike and I go back. Uh, we grew up obviously in the same hometown of Marshfield, Wisconsin. Um, we were great childhood friends. And we actually started our own basketball camp when Mike was a sophomore at the University of Wisconsin Stout, and I was a senior in high school. And we said, we've been to all these camps. We know what we like and don't like. What if we created our own and um, just brought the best facets of those camps to Marshfield? And so that's what we did. And we, uh, we rented a gym at the local YMCA, and we had some local high school coaches help us just with the organization and Uh, helping to get kids but probably had 100 kids that first year and the camp slowly built up um, years two and three and by the fourth year we actually started a circuit in the midwest where we you know 13 uh, camps in 13 different cities for the entire summer and so um, that was just such a fun time in my life um i think ultimately what made it so fun though is we just had such a great staff and so i think any camp you have to have people that know the game and that know how to teach it. And I think those sometimes can be two different things. But, you know, we'd sit down for lunch every day and just the, the debates and, and sometimes even arguments about very specific things about this is how you should teach footwork and here's why this drill is better than this one. Um, and if you love basketball, you love being in that room. I mean, there were days when we literally your sub sandwich would sit in front of you and, and you didn't eat it cause you were just so passionately trying to prove a point to the guy sitting across the table. Um, but we love being there.
0: Yeah. And I so mean, I, uh, I, I have some of my first key coaching DVDs with skill development were all Mike Lee and, uh, the blueprint and all that stuff. I, I thought that he was more innovative than most people were now where they are now. A lot of the things that people are doing now, Mike's been doing and you guys were doing years ago. And um, it's, it's interesting to see a lot of the things that he's done and what he's done to, for the game is just incredible. I think one thing, and maybe you can – I always felt that a lot of the drills and stuff that you guys did were always competitive, even in, in a camp situation. I always felt that it really added a competitive nature um, to the game of basketball in, in a camp style. We tried to make everything as realistic as possible. Right. I think you can pound
2: the ball on the floor in a stationary position – and, and that's good for a time, but eventually you have to make it. I mean, you have to make it realistic to what you'd actually see in a game. And so I think um, a lot of the one-on-one drills are structured like that. You know, simple things like you're not allowed to turn your back to the basket, um, or you only get two dribbles from the top of the key. That's the type of move that you have to be able to make in a game. You're not going to be able to take 15 dribbles and then, and, you know, magically get a shot off. So, right. um, I thought that was great. The other thing Mike did a great job with is, you know, we brought DJs to our camps. Um, it was exciting. I mean, there was energy in the gym. Um, we gave reasons uh, to to show up. And um, when you are
0: surrounded by that type of energy, I feel yeah, like. I mean, just the tennis balls, the cones, all, you know, the quick movements. It wasn't, uh, you know, stationary. It was always, it's just good stuff. And I, 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 I just think it's. It seemed like a really fun time in your life. Another great fun time in your life. was seemed that you kind of got away from being a player, and you got you landed a great opportunity to be a. You a varsity assistant, correct, at a local high school in Milwaukee called Milwaukee Marquette, um, which is not ultimately connected to the university but it is a high school very close by um and it seemed like you had an opportunity to have a great relationship and still have a great relationship with uh coach cooks which is actually he's now a coach at a division three college and is he still at concordia university am i right on that or am i wrong
2: uh he was at concordia for the last three years yeah i think this is his first season stepping away and okay um uh, he's actually written a book as well um, right. about his life
0: from paralysis to purpose and yeah um,
2: if you have not has to check
0: him out and check
2: out his book. He definitely should do so.
0: Yeah, he's a wonderful guy. He actually uh, I tried to recruit one of my players and did recruit one of my players on his coaching high school at Mayville High School in a small rural town in Wisconsin. And uh, one of the reasons why my player decided to go there, he just thought he was a really nice guy and. Uh, And so I felt that your relationship really supported your connection to the game throughout your life. Um, can you explain why you think that relationship uh, with coach cook has been so strong and, um, what he's done for you as a coach and as a person and why that those type of coaches are, people are so important to keeping coaches around the game.
2: Yeah. So coach cooks is just a remarkable man. Um, he's been paralyzed since he was 16 years old. Um, but you know, physical um, physical stuff aside, he's just he's an unbelievable personality. Um, I've never seen anybody care as much as he cares about kids, um, and I think that so many of us can preach that you know this is a brotherhood and you know we're a family and all of these things. But until you're actually around that on a day to day basis, um, you know, I spent so much time in a basketball office with him just talking about talking about my life and what did I wanted to get out of it? And, um, the challenges that I had and, um, suggestions he had on just how to be, you know, just a better man. And I think that, uh, for him to take the time to do that, um, and ultimately to do that for the kids that we had on the team, I think it made all of us, even as coaches, uh, accountable to that. Cause I think sometimes we forget that these are kids. These are kids that, um, they, they want to be mentored. Um, they want your support and ultimately like they want your friendship in some ways too. And I think there's a, there's a fine line between being a friend and being a coach, but, um, the best ones you can ultimately look at and just say as a player, I respect the hell out of this guy. Right. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna run through a wall for him because I know that he cares about me so deeply. Yeah,
0: we often talk about the importance of building relationships. You know, I think that is so important, um, especially uh, the, the, the 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 days of Bobby Knight and the I'm gonna be in your grill and I really don't care about the the inner person within within kids has been gone. You know, uh, we need to really develop relationships with people and with our players. I think that's huge. Um, what is uh, what's next for you in regards to the game of basketball? Are you getting the age to con, uh to, to coach again, to write another book, uh, you know, just be a dad and a husband who knows what, what do you, what do you think you see yourself now in the game with the game of basketball as you move forward with your life?
2: So that was kind of the the end of the book for me it was just basketball has been such a huge part of my life for 30, 40 years. And for me to say that I'm, you know, walking away from the game in some ways, just it will never happen. I think I'll be connected in some way, somehow, the rest of my life. I think what's been awesome is just to see the the evolution of what that's looked like for me. Um, you know, spending literally thousands of hours in a in a gym as a kid to playing college basketball to coaching, really all over the country. I, I coached high school basketball in Milwaukee. I coached in uh, Salt Lake City, Southern California, and Chicago. I've been involved with some teams in Portland. I think that, um, for me, it's just really kind of evaluating what the opportunities out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just, I feel like if you're not taking some type of action, um, your action is the best way to start another action. Right. And so even for the book, you know, so many people have reached out to me that, um, some that I know, some that I didn't know, and just share their stories with me or ask me questions about why I wrote such and such in the book or, or um, how come I felt a certain way. And um, for me, a lot of that is just garnered up new ideas, whether it's, you know, other platforms for, for other players or coaches to share their stories, or to your point is another book about basketball in some way. Um, We'll see, but I think um, I am super excited to continue to explore kind of where the game takes me and to, do things like this where you, you know, we wouldn't have been connected, obviously, if, if uh, we wouldn't have um, shared the the book and some of the ideas in there. And um, I look forward to hearing, hearing feedback from
0: people, even about this podcast. Yeah, for um, sure. I I love how you connected uh, to the coaching aspect, but you know, I think it, for a coach, it's really good to hear all the perspectives that co- go in, re- in regards to coaching. Um, one thing that we do with our interviews is we do a couple of some rapid-fire questions where on the top of your head, you just kind of have to answer the best way that you can. So am just going to throw a couple of questions to you in regards to basketball, and you're just going to have to rapid-fire back. Um, if you based on first thing, I'm going to connect to the book based on all the famous people that you've met and your amazing journey of life by far, who's the most memorable and why
2: Aaron Rodgers would be the most memorable, <laughs> um, I met randomly in a bar in yep. Utah. And I actually played him in the video game, Buck Hunter. And, um, I played very well. I'm not going to flat out say that he lost, but, um, we, uh, it was great to meet him, and he was uh, so nice to the guys that I was with.
0: Okay. Uh, advice uh, advice for any young coach out there, somebody that's just starting their career in coaching basketball.
2: Biggest advice would simply be um, to reach out to other people and just pick their brains. I mean, everything that all of us know is a culmination of what someone else probably taught us somewhere along the line. And so uh, I think somebody sent me a note on Twitter about three weeks ago, and just said, "Would you mind jumping on a call with me for ten minutes? I want to ask you three questions, and here's what they are." And I thought, "Wow, I love the uh, love the aggressiveness, and I love the hustle."
0: Awesome. Uh, the last one, greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan. Yeah, and he's not he- even close. He, he seems to be winning even when Coach Collins interviews everybody else. So I don't even know why he has that question. That's why I changed, I, I changed to some other questions. But,
1: John, overall, I really enjoyed hope it. you're enjoying that. Take 30 seconds. Subscribe, like, leave the comments. Tell us what you'd like for future interviews. What would you like to, to hear? Those five-star reviews sure do mean a lot to us. And go over and check out t for coaches who want to get better. 14 day free trial. It is the Netflix for basketball coaches, but it's better than Netflix because I can't talk to anybody on Netflix, but you you will get my personal email address. You will be able to ask me questions. I just answered Seth's question from Great Britain 30 seconds ago, right before I got on this. So go over and do that and uh, let me know if you uh, want to become a member. 14-day free trial. All right, let's get back to the interview. Hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that. Go over and check out ttroops.com for coaches who want to get better. 14-day free trial. It is the basketball community on the web. Resources, practice plans, mentoring, community, everything you would want to become a better basketball coach. If you have 30 seconds, pull that car over, five star review. We would love that. And uh, have a great week. Sports Social Podcast Network.